I love the way my husband summarizes the whole story. He always says it's the story of an Algerian girl born in India, living in France, who met an Austrian man. Welcome to a new episode of Most Memorable Journeys. My guest today is a very fascinating woman. I met her a while ago. I've never actually met her in person. I've only met her online. But when I was getting ready for this interview and I was reading a little bit more about her, I, she became even more fascinating. She was born in India to parents from Algeria. And she is married to a man from Austria who she met in Iran. Am I right, Amel Deragui? Yes, what a great summary. Welcome to Most Memorable Journeys. And of course, she is the founder of the uh, company or or a thing called Tandem Nomads. And she is the podcast host of Tandem Nomads. And that's what we're going to talk about. We want to talk about traveling and um, what you do. So um, how are you? I'm doing good despite a cold. So I apologize in advance if my voice is a little bit funny. But other than that, I'm really happy to be here with you. And it's funny you said we never met in person. I never realized that. It feels like we did. <laughs> you know, you know that there are certain people, and I think this is the upside of COVID. We, we didn't have any choice. We had to meet online because we mm-hmm. couldn't go anywhere. And there is a lot of people also within the Global Woman community because uh, I started attending all those online meetings. And there's a lot of people who I actually feel that I really know. Interesting, huh? Yeah. 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 That's what I love about it. Yeah. Let's start from the beginning. You were born in India, right? Mm-hmm. How did that happen? That's a silly question. <laughs> <laughs> well, should I add? <laughs> from Adam and Eve, right? <laughs> you can start there. The interview may be a little too long. <laughs> no, it's very simple, actually. My parents come from Algeria and my dad... Um, he unfortunately passed away recently, but he he used to be a diplomat and uh, and yeah, and that was his first posting with my mom, and uh, yeah, that's how I ended up being born there because they were posted there when it happened. How long did you live in India? I I left when I was three years old. So you don't really remember that much. Very few memories, just sensations. Um, very few memories. So yeah. you go a lot of pictures. <laughs> have you been back? Have you traveled in India at all? I've always um, built a bit of fascination with India due to the fact that I was born there and I never been back until I got married. And I felt like when I got married, I needed to come back to the source. And I actually, yeah. So after my marriage, my mom and I decided to go there and do a bit of a retreat to where I was born. Wow. A trip down memory lane. Mm-hmm. That must have been quite interesting for your mom or more interesting for your mom as well, because she she was consciously living there. Yeah. Well, she has been back a few times. So that was, um, yeah, she had some business going on with actually the whole reason she's been back, which is interesting, maybe related to the podcast as well and journeys. Uh, She's been back because (laughs) many years ago before I got married, my mom, for some reason, my mom visited me and we were watching a Bollywood and I was a big fan of Bollywood movies. And it just slipped out of my mouth, although I always said I would never get married. It just slipped. I would never get married, but if I got married, I would do a Bollywood wedding. <laughs> and my mom always remembered that. And I completely forgot about that story. Many years later, I got married. So my mom remembered that. And she went to actually India and started building my whole wardrobe, my whole wedding wardrobe with uh, Indian fabrics. And, and she would make 
Show designed me. them there. Yeah. Tell me more about that. Where did you get married? <laughs> I got married in different places. We had four different weddings just because of the constitution of our families. Uh, but the official signature was in Vienna and the real... Ooh. What is a wedding in my culture is the noisy and musical part. <laughs> and that was in Algeria. Wow. But the theme was Bollywood because, uh, yeah, because it was all related. To, it was a way to celebrate where I was born in a way. What a mixture. I have been, I've worked in, uh, in Tunisia and I have been to a wedding in Tunisia and I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> and, um, and I love the noise and, and everything about it. And I have actually been to Algeria. Not many people have, and I've done yes. a beautiful tour in the desert. It's one of the I heard your, you mentioned that in the podcast somewhere, no, didn't oh, you? Oh my God. Yeah. It's so beautiful. I mean, the desert changes colors about six times a day and it's, it's really, really, I mean, you know, people, people totally underestimate some of these countries. It's a hidden gem. <laughs> it definitely is. I'm looking at my notes and I just realized that when I introduced you, I forgot to say after all the interesting parts, you studied in France. Yes, I studied in France. Uh, I actually, yeah, I studied in France and the US. Yeah, I, um, I used to live in Uganda when, when I was in high school and I I was a bit fed up with moving around and not having a steady education. <laughs> Me at the age of 14, I tell to my parents, you're ruining my career. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not surprised. <laughs> Knowing you now, I'm not surprised. <laughs> and I was like, it's enough. I need to go to a stable school. And um, and actually at the age of 16, I, I went to France. Uh, and that was very unusual, obviously, to go to high school alone. My parents did not want me to go to a boarding school. So they insisted that I get my own apartment. So I've been living on my own since the age of 16 <laughs> until I got married. And um, yeah, went to France, did the high school there. And then while in, while in first year of university, I started getting restless <laughs> and um, find ways. And we can talk about it later, maybe uh, to actually work and study at the same time between France and the US. It was it's a long story, but we'll get there maybe. I don't oh, know if I want to hear that story, but later <laughs> we were because we're not there yet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We'll skip that. But yeah, I studied in France and the US at the same time. Yeah, fantastic. And um so you were you traveling? Do you did you like traveling on your own because you lived on your own or did you travel as a young woman? I mean you're still a young woman as a younger woman. Oh thank you. That's nice to hear. <laughs> It's not that I don't take it for granted. I'm very lucky for our lifestyle. But it's funny when I hear people ask me, do you like traveling? For me, I don't know any other way. I define myself as a nomad and a literal nomad. It's funny because my my roots come from a nomadic, uh, from the desert. Um, my father comes from a nomadic uh, ancestor, ancestors. It's just that now my territory is bigger. <laughs> so... I, I just don't know any other way. So yes, when I was young and studying and living uh, young adults, I also traveled a lot on my own. Yeah, that, found my way. That to... nomadic part really is fascinating. And I think it's also very inclusive. Do you find it difficult to adjust to a place? Because normally nomads don't, you know, they just uh, get on with it. I wrote an article for a book actually, and the title was Feeling Homeless and Homeful. <laughs> So I've always struggled with a sense of home and at the same time, not at all, because I would really adapt. Um, 
but you always belong. When you're a nomad, you belong everywhere and nowhere at the same time. It's a very interesting feeling. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So it depends on the mindset you're in. There are days where it feels homeless and other days where it feels feels homeful. Yeah, I I can. Okay, I'm not. I I have traveled a lot when I was a tour guide, but not like you. I didn't grow up like that. And, um, you know, I don't live in the country where I was born. I I sometimes, after all these years that I live in Cyprus, I I feel homesick for some Mm -hmm. unexplained reason. And then my kids who who are half Swiss and half Cypriot, they are also, you know, what is home? They don't really know. But I think home is the place that grounds us wherever we are at this time. I think so too. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny because I just came back from Denmark, which was the first time I came, I've been there from the moment, the first day I felt like I belonged there, which is super strange because I don't, don't cope well with cold. And that's why I have a cold right now. (laughs) It was freezing and I've been walking, walking, walking. And the more I walked, the more I felt, I actually know this place. It's very strange. It is. Oh, those things are so strange. And when I was a tour guide, I had so many clients in so many different places who would tell me this feels so like known, you know, yeah. and they had never been there before. And that's, of course, that's a whole other story about. Yeah, we can go know, down that, there. That's another podcast series about past sure. lives and have we been somewhere before or have we not? Or why do we feel the way like that? Why did you feel that way in Denmark? You don't know, do you? It was the first travel that I've done in my own since many years, since I got married, actually. And that's why I went there. I felt like it was time for me to to find myself, uh, not fi- find myself, but to be on my own. I, mm-hmm. I love the problem is that I love traveling with my husband. We're great companions for travels, and I, I just like I'm like yeah. It's been so long. I haven't traveled and been on my own. I just wanted to know how it feels again. It feels yeah. good though, doesn't it? Yeah, it was good. <laughs> I'm great. I'm a great company for myself. I'm like, <laughs> you know, that's the thing. I mean, you become your own best friend and you'll never be alone in your life. Yeah. But now we've, I've heard that word husband a few times. Let's talk about yeah. how you met your husband, because I know that you met your husband in Iran. He was yeah. working there and your parents were working there, right? At the time they were there, right? Correct. Yeah. So I love the way my husband summarizes the whole story. He always says it's the story of an Algerian girl born in India, living in France, who met an Austrian man. Uh, That's crazy. (laughs) That's a lot. That's a lot to take in. (laughs) I love the way he says that. I know it's a lot, but to make it simple, I was living and working in France and um, in my parents were in Iran. It was their last few months there. And they told me it's, I've been visiting them four years before. To be honest, I did not like it the first time. And I was like, I don't want to actually even shorten my trip. Something happened that I I was just not feeling it. I came back and, and then they were like, you need to come back. We know the country much better now. We can show you around. And and I was like, oh, I don't want to wear the hijab in the middle of summer. All these things, right. That, that, but I still went and uh, the first day I arrived, they took me to a party and that's how I met my husband. That's amazing. So you really, really had to go back. I'm not sure now. Did you live in Iran? Yeah, because uh, basically a year later we were married and I moved to Iran. 
so he was still working, like yeah. he, he was still based there. I've been talking about it so long and I still haven't done it. And of course, then my daughter did. She went traveled in Iran uh, two years before COVID and she traveled from, they actually went from by bus from uh, Armenia into Iran and then all the way down to the Persian Gulf. And she absolutely loved it. She loved everything about it, the food, the people, the the, the nature, the, the, what, what do you, how did you feel in Iran? So for me it was different because I was not a tourist. I was um, living there. So the, it's actually almost, I would say better, <laughs> but um, as a tourist, I loved it. I, it was really beautiful. And I had such great memories with my mom. I hadn't been traveling alone with her and she took me around. It was so beautiful, really lovely memories. Living there was another piece of cake. <laughs> Just because it's not just about the country, it's about the whole context. You know, I had given up my career and actually, which explains the whole story that got me to start Tandem Nomads. I gave up my career, which was my whole identity, my whole independence was rooted in my identity. And it was really hard to give up everything and, and go to a country where you know any, nobody. And I realized I didn't know my husband, you know, we only met each other nine times before we got married. It was pretty... I was like, what, what did I do? <laughs> what, what went into my head? Um, so it was really difficult the first months. And that's where I started my first business to kind of find, like continue my career. And that was this first part that made it a bit difficult, but very quickly I met, I had a really, really great group of friends. And that's, you know, when you live in a country like Iran, where there's so many restrictions, the beauty of it is that the people come together and, and we were a very, very solid unit to friends. And, and we just had such great memories together. It was just so lovely. We were very tight and it was a time that was really difficult. I went there in 2009 when the first the green revolution happened. So it wasn't that easy. The sanctions were pumping up. Um, the EU sanctions came in on top of everything, on top of the US sanctions that were already there. So the contexts were quite difficult. And we had some friends in jail that it was as amazing as difficult. And it's and that's why if I had to do it again, I'll do it again. It was just amazing. In terms of my relationship with Iran, it's a little more complex than most of the Westerners because I um, what they define an Arab and in Iran, they don't like Arabs. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I did not have, when I was on my own, I did not have the welcoming experience that most people have, but in general, people were very nice. It's just that I struggled a little bit with some racism sometimes when I was on my own, but, um, yeah, but other than that, it was a, yeah, it was a lovely experience. It was a really interesting experience in terms of the shades, different shades of greatness and, and difficulty. So it was lovely. Fascinating though. Isn't that fascinating that what you just said, many people in the world had no idea about that, that an Arab could feel racism in Iran because most people think that Iranians are Arabs, don't they? You know, and of course they are not. That's oh my God, the they would be so upset if they had. I know, yeah. <laughs> but, but you know, when you talk about the, it's generalizing things and misunderstanding places. And I think that's the biggest problem in this world. Mm. Yes, it is. It is. It's a shame. And it's a historic reason, you know, that Iranians are very, very attached to Persia. What they, most of those who are very proud would call Iran Persia. And they're very, very attached to their history when they were a grand empire. And this has been all taken over. I feel that in Austria too, you know, Austria used to be a big empire and 
And sometimes the old generation feels so small <laughs> because they just hate the fact that they're just a small country now. Yeah, um, the grandness is gone. Yeah, and that's a difficult identity to work through. You know, there's a lot of trauma that goes through that that passes on from a generation to another. But yeah, you were saying like difficulties and sanctions, and I I think that those were the the blocks that made you stronger. Those were the blocks that made you do what you're doing. And, and, and when did you actually start Tandem Nomads? Did you already start when you were in Iran? No, I started, I had another business called Blingency at the time. I was providing consulting for com- big corporate companies and, and marketing and, and uh, strategies. I had a, f- a niche that was like, really, how do you, how do you focus? I'm, I'm very, that's another story. I'm, I'm very passionate about social entrepreneurship and, and more like how entrepreneurship profitable businesses can actually make an impact because the story we've been taught is that profit and impact doesn't work together. And I really believe it does. So my specialty was really how do you use your marketing budget to, to not only increase your visibility and your goals, but also make an impact in the community. So, so that's what I've done. I've done that for many years. And then it's only when we moved to New York, I mean, the whole time I was itching because while growing in this journey, moving from a country to another with my husband, I struggled and felt very lonely in my entrepreneurial journey because I had amazing mentors who wanted to help me, but but they didn't understand what it was to build a business while moving from a country to another and ha- not having to start from scratch every time. I needed to find a way to make my business location independent and portable. And mind you, at the time, all the technology that exists today didn't exist at the time, right? So I needed to be creative to make it portable without all the great tools we have today. So I felt very lonely in this journey figuring this out. And the other thing was that I also felt lonely because I couldn't relate or other spouses of expats like me wouldn't relate. So it was hard It was hard to relate to other women in my situation. But it was harder for me to see them depressed, see them angry, see them resentful towards their partners because they gave up everything for their family. And, and then they end up financially dependent. And sometimes the relationship doesn't go well and they feel stuck in that relationship because they can't leave. And on top of the money aspect, I don't, I'm not going to go down the rabbit hole, but just as an awareness in terms of regulations, it becomes very complicated to leave your partner and have custody of your children when you're a global nomad, because you might be often from a country and your husband from another and your kids in between. So having custody when you're a global nomad is another big, big big challenge. So that really made me angry to see women who are so smart, so freaking smart, so, and most of the time smarter than their partners <laughs> who mm-hmm. feel like so yeah. small. Ultimately, I also had cases of deep depression and suicide. And that's when I'm like, I need to do something about this. And that's how I started my podcast show in 2015 when I was in New York to just scream <laughs> On the fact that you don't, it doesn't have to be this way. Entrepreneurship is the solution to dual career challenges into women empowerment and financial independence. So I started this podcast on the side of my business and while consulting corporate companies, and then it picked up and I'm like, I just can't keep doing these two at the same time. Although Tandem Nomads was not a business yet. And I started having more and more demands. Like, how do you do that? Okay. How do you build a portable business? And that's when I'm like, by 2016, seven, beginning 17, I was like, okay, I'm going to make this a business and focus on. So I closed the consulting and I started coaching and, and providing online courses and online programs 
to expat partners around the world to help them build a portable business. Since then, the audience has grown. So I do have clients who are not necessarily expat partners because the need has grown of having businesses that are location independent, not just for fun. I'm not talking about the digital nomads who want to travel the world. It's more like people who feel the need to be able to pick up their stuff whenever they need to. There's more and more families that are scattered around the world. There's aging parents, children, all these things that make it necessary to make your revenue a bit more location independent. So these are the people that I track more now and on top of the expat spouses. That was a long answer to a shorter question. That was a good answer. There was a lot of that answer. Like one thing that you said that people didn't understand you, that you were kind of, you know, like they see you as uh, this uh, living this, maybe whatever you want to call it, fancy lifestyle, being a wife abroad and and wondering what the hell is wrong with her? Why isn't she happy? She should be happy. Oh my God. You you summarized it. A lot of people say, I had friends telling me, just enjoy what's wrong with you. I would pay I would pay so much money to be in your shoes. I'm like, no, you wouldn't because you don't know what I'm going. Exactly. But, you know, you just look at things. You don't see inside of things. And good for you for doing because you know, there's this thing saying about um, your story could be somebody else's survival plan mm-hmm. um, because you were talking about people being depressed, people even being suicidal. And what you did more or less you created their survival plan in a way or still are creating. Yeah. I, I never saw it this way, but I I do feel so much fulfillment in seeing the journey of my clients when I see them just fly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> happy and and connected to themselves and finally confident and see them just how their lives. I provide marketing and business coaching and, and support, but ultimately it's more than that. The result is, is I had a client crying last day. It makes me actually emotional. Um, she was saying, sorry, I didn't oh, see this coming. Nice. Please go on. <laughs> oh God, I, I didn't see this coming, but I just had her face come in front of my eyes. And she was saying how, since she has her business, her whole life has changed and even her connection with her husband has been. And now they're like traveling together, having dates and because she's so happy that it's actually radiates in the family and uh, seeing her so happy makes me, makes my day just, just, so I have so many stories like that where that would also move and another client would cry and say, Oh my God, I don't have to start again. I can do myself. And um, it's so good. You know, you have to, especially moms have to settle the kids in school. They have to take care of everything. Usually when the family moves, it's the woman who does everything. And usually by the time the family settles, it's time to leave again. So Mm -hmm. there's no more time to take care of themselves. So by building a portable business, it's also a way to create a portable identity as well. Something that feels like home no matter where you are. And you were saying like, it's the women who do all these things, who do all these unimportant things as it sounds. And the men are doing the important things. And at the end of the day, it's actually all all the other way around, isn't it? Because it's all about settling the family and doing all the, all all this, the setting up and what you were just saying about financial freedom, because it's not about having money. It's about having your own money. You know, exactly. it's having money that, that it, because no matter whether we like it or not, but money gives you freedom. Money gives you a certain feeling of, 
I don't know, accomplishment. I don't know what you want to call it, but it's definitely necessary to, especially when you, most of these women that you are talking about are women who, who are educated, who have had careers and who gave everything up. It is, it is amazing. And, 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 you know, you said something very important and I want whoever's listening, it's not just a problem of women who travel, it's women in general, even those who live in just one place. I actually did an episode about women uh, breaking the ceiling without being broken. One of the things is the, what is called the mental load on top of, and there's a statistic that shows that if the unpaid invisible work of women was taken in consideration, the GDP would increase by 30 or 50 to 50%. Oh, wow. So it's just that we underestimate the, the, the importance of the, that invisible work that's being done and unpaid work that's being done by women in the household to contribute to the economy. And that is why I think it's really important. That's what I, why I also work a lot with companies, actually, who send their families abroad to help them actually support the expat partners because they're starting to know. That was my whole mission statement, was to bring awareness around the fact that their companies will not survive and make as much profit if they did not have that partner who takes care of everything while the employee can focus on work. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that stupid phrase comes in here, like happy wife, happy life. But I think it's a, it, it, there is a, a lot more about it than just well, saying it. That stupid sentence, as you said, to quote you, is actually reversed because that's exactly what I was talking with the manager once. Is like, no, it's not happy wife, happy life. It's like whenever the wife, you are happy because the wife is doing the work mm -hmm. for you, mm -hmm. right? You if can... you reverse, you're doing it for yourself, not for the <laughs> you see what I mean, it's right. just about how to approach it. Although it's very true. If the partner is happy, then everything's fine. Well, ideally, both people are happy and that makes exactly. a good relationship, doesn't it? Exactly. But um, the one thing that is funny about this whole uh, story is that you started Tandem Nomads and probably people were doubting you or thinking, how is this even possible? And then COVID came. I have friends who were working in Switzerland or wherever, and they were fighting for this one day or maybe two days of home office. You know, it, it was like looked at as, you know, she just wants to be home or this... And then suddenly everybody could do it. Isn't that amazing? I love it. It's funny how the mindset changed. Huh? It's so yeah. what was impossible for companies to do now is like, well, and now they're struggling to bring back people to all this. <laughs> um, I see it around me. Um, for me, it was just amazing as well. I used to have to work so hard to convince people that anything can be turned into a portable business. Anything. I have interior designers as clients. I even have a horseback riding client who does dressage. And we managed to make it a portable and independent, location independence business. And at the time, it was really hard to make people get it. And now it's just the conversation almost is not there anymore, which is great. And on the client front, even clients who would come to me, they would be convinced, but their clients not always. And there was more work to do there. And now it's it's like amazing. It's just it's non it's a nonsense anymore to even discuss it mm, and uh, at the end of the day anything really is possible if we just have we just have to I love that <laughs> so when we met you were in new york do you miss new york because now you are in vienna do you miss new york um i i do miss new york but it's not like you know because i've always lived like this i don't miss it like most people would think i would not think of 
um, like being homesick or something like that, but more like remembering the good memories. Sometimes I would say nostalgic of New York, but also I'm so happy where I am now that it's not like I feel I want to go back. Um, I'm just very grateful to have those memories. And if I summarize about missing New York, maybe, but it's more like grateful. I'm really grateful that I had that opportunity. It's so amazing. I think gratitude is just such a beautiful emotion, just a beautiful thing, you know, mm. being, even about th things that didn't go so well. I think those are the ones that we should be most grateful because they help us. Right. I agree with that very much. So now you're in Vienna. And of course, the other thing is that during you were in New York during COVID and that mm -hmm. probably had an impact because, you know, like some of your time in New York was kind of stolen from you because you had to stay home. I don't feel that way at all. That's funny because a lot of people did have that. And I feel sad for people who experienced that. The good thing is that I've been there for seven years. It's not like I was in New York, just like I know people who arrived just before the lockdown, which sucks, honestly. So I was really lucky that I had a few years prior to that. It's a shame because when the pandemic came, it felt like a, the first two years, and this is something that nobody understands until I think they have lived this. <laughs> My two first years in New York were hell. It was a disaster. It was not what I expected. I that's You know how you think you know a country because it's on the movies and because I knew the U.S. Actually, that's what makes it worse. I lived in the U.S. before on my own. And I had a, the biggest culture shock in New York compared to any other crazy country I've been in. Because really? I did not expect a culture shock. Tell me more about that. You know, you speak the same language. You appear to be similar to others, but people don't understand you're not from there. So... The communication, you know, in communication, there's the worst, there's the body language, there's a bunch of invisible aspects of communication. And I always felt misunderstood. It was really hard. I really felt misunderstood all the time. And then the, it's not this productive country you think it is, the US, right? It's it's so not. And, oh, and we had to refurbish a few things in our apartment. It took one year. I felt like one year of my life was stolen from me. And then, of course, you could see it as a grateful thing you should be grateful that you have a roof. But I had so many plans for my business, so many things, and I just felt very frustrated. But it was a great experience. Going back, I would do it again. Of course, I would. hindsight is always easy to know what you would do differently. But so the two furiouses were rough. And then by the third year, my husband and I have this tradition of uh, every Sunday, we sit down in bed, have breakfast and talk. And we were just talking and we said, oh, we feel like we arrived. Like three years later, we arrived. It feels good to be here. We're happy and we have friends that we also had to shift our friendships. It was, you know how at the beginning, New York has so much exposure to so many people and that's the beauty of it. But it's also overwhelming because it's like a buffet of amazing people and you just can't build your community with a thousand people, right? So it's, it takes some time to know who are your people. So it took us some time. By the third year, we felt, oh, we found our people, right? So that was great. But when the lockdown came, I don't know, we found joy in it as well. I mean, we were scared at the beginning, like everybody. There were a lot of death. My heart was broken. You know, New York was severely hit, just like Italy. We had refrigerators of dead bodies in our street. It was terrible. Yeah. Uh, but because it was so hard, I think the New Yorkers were less into this 
crazy debate that I see in Europe about masks, no masks, vaccine, no vaccine. Like people going crazy, it just turned into a political thing. In New York, it was much more simple. Like I think we found the right balance between some rules and not being completely caught into those rules. So we could still go out very quickly after that. Um, I love the resilience of New Yorkers. They were amazing, these people. It was winter. I remember I wore my ski outfit. It was so cold, but people would still go to the restaurant to eat outdoors. It was freezing. And this is how I love New York. I'm like, these New Yorkers are so resilient. No matter what you throw at them, they will always find a way to keep living their lives and making the best of it. So for me, it was really nice. And even the time of lockdown, I could do all the things that I never had the time to do. It, I just know we, we loved it. It's a long answer, but again, <laughs> very good answer, very good answer. And and one thing that you said stuck with me because I was a tour guide in the US. You know, we think it's this modern country, like the you know ahead of the world. Oh no! And oh my God, it's not. <laughs> and I remember it's the I mean, third I, world. Seriously. <laughs> Uh, it is. I wasn't going to say it. Thank you for saying it because it's true. You know, sometimes reconfirming flights or doing hotel resorts until you actually get through to somebody who understands you. This is what you were saying, speaking the same language, but nobody understands you. Very, very true. Now, I just thought of something because um, I want to give a quick shout out to Mirella Sulla because yes. Mirella Sulla, the founder of the Global Woman Club, is actually our link, isn't she? You met she her is in amazing. New York. Yes, we met in New York. Uh, yeah, it was amazing. Such a great experience. She's a lovely woman. Yes. Yeah. Shout out to her. Visionary. <laughs> so we're already quite far gone. You told me before when we were having a little chat, you love Vienna. Mm-hmm. So you're happy where you are right now and you don't really know what's coming next. But what about if you could choose? Let's ask. <laughs> if you could choose, where would you go? That's a difficult question. It's so hard. Everybody keeps asking me this and I struggle to answer the question. I think it's about, it's one of those questions. It's like when people ask me after all these years, you know, traveling and working abroad, what was the nicest place? You can't answer that question. Yeah, it's, it's hard. You know, there's the thing is that there's always like different chapters in a life and I'm, I have to think of which chapter I'm in mm-hmm. and what country would fit to that chapter. I think that's the thinking that we have to do right now, but I feel like a more like Southern country would be nice, but at the same time, business wise, you know, um, I'm interested in maybe a, still to be in vibrant cities. So yeah, um, let's see. like we say here or inshallah Inshallah. (laughs) lovely I think um, that's the best way to look at it anyway and and uh, knowing you I know you a little bit that I know that they can send you anywhere and you will be fine you will you will take your tandem nomad business with you and you will just thrive like you do I hope so thank you yeah I'm (laughs) sure I'm sure it'll be the case for sure one thing that's different now is that I'm, I feel like I'm, I'm still young. I mean, I'm 38, but I can see, and that's why I'm saying, depending which chapters of the life, and I have to look at that with age, we, with, with experience, not age, with experience, we know ourselves better. And we also maybe are becoming more rigid as well. I don't know. Maybe I'm becoming more rigid and you would think that the more tr- you travel, the more flexible you are. I'm actually fighting to be the opposite. I've been my whole life a chameleon. And now I just want to to know who I am and not compromise on that. 
Mm, I'm in that stage of my life. I'm like, I'm not going to compromise, even if, you know, I've been compromising my whole life. Yeah, I, I, I get that. I can understand that. And I think knowing what you want is not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, you're you're on the right track. I can tell you that because I'm a little older than you <laughs> and I <laughs> I know what I want. I, no, no, that may, I don't want to say it like that. I know what I don't want. I think that oh, is uh, important. You know, there are certain things. You don't want them anymore. You don't need them anymore. And, you know, no matter how good it sounds, and usually when it sounds too good to be true, it is it is too good to be true, you know, so. I love that. Yeah, we well, remember what you said. <laughs> <laughs> so um, any last words, Amel? Any last tips for our audience? I think your audience is probably, tell me if I'm wrong, but people who are interested in traveling and discovering the world and I, th- I would just invite you to just do it. If you feel like you're stuck somewhere and can't move, I said, just do it because a travel is more just about traveling. It's about finding yourself. And I think when you travel, it's not just about the luxury of traveling. It's about really, really connecting with yourself. And that's something that I would encourage to do. Watch yourself, how you think, how you grow through the journey. And there's a book that I really love. And for me, that's a summary of the journey of traveling, which is The Alchemist from Paulo Coelho, that I highly recommend. And you realize that traveling is not whatever you go. It's it's about the journey more than just a destination. And ultimately, my motto in life is turning challenges into opportunities. Whenever you have a challenge, just ask yourself, how can you turn that into opportunity? And sometimes if it relates to, if the answer is pack your stuff and go, no matter where, just go, then do it. Wow. I have nothing to add to that apart from the thing that I always say in nearly every episode. I feel that the more you travel, the more you actually realize that we are all the same. Right. It's you know, true. we all have the same needs. We have this need for safety and, and uh, you know, feeling comfortable. We don't, nobody wants war. Nobody wants fear. You know, this is just, uh, but anyway, that's another story. Yeah. Amel, I'm never sure. Deragui. Am I saying that right? Uh, Amel Deregi. Oh, Deregi. Deregi. <laughs> Thank you so, so much for being my guest on Most Memorable Journey. I really, really appreciate you. My pleasure. And thank you for inviting me. Thank you for those of you who've been listening. I hope this was uh, insightful for you and continue what you're doing, Elizabeth. I love that you're inspiring so many people uh, with these lovely stories and journeys. Uh, Well, uh, it works both ways. Thank you so much. (laughs) My pleasure. If you enjoy my podcast, please like, share and subscribe to my channel. You will find all the information in the show notes.